good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I am the host. The guest on episode 34 of Feel Free to Deviate is Justin Baum. He is the director of product at a software company called Lease Up. He's also a designer and a user experience guru, though he probably won't like that I called him a guru. But that's too bad. He's a very knowledgeable guy who digs deep into the philosophy surrounding the tech industry, and I have always admired his technical skills, but also his uncanny ability to find an actual career path from an early age. He's sort of a wunderkind who rocketed to early success, experienced some bumps along the way, and then reinvented himself on a different coast. This is a good episode. It's very dense, and we cover a lot of interesting topics. That said, it is unfortunate that there's not enough time to go into each subject in detail. You may leave the episode with more questions than answers, but it's a good starting point for a lot of different conversations. We talk about the tech industry, image generation, and a bunch of other stuff. I must admit that I dropped the ball by missing some cues and not following up on things that could have moved us on to other topics. Fortunately, I don't think it hurts the episode, and it leaves the door open for future conversations with Justin. And that's not a problem for me because I like talking to the guy. Maybe he'll come back sometime. Settle into whatever you're doing and get ready. Listen, absorb, process, and let me know if you have any questions, thoughts, or comments afterwards. This is my conversation with Justin Baum. Oh my gosh, Jim. You're back. That was either the best kind of like professional rattling to get before a conversation like this or the worst. We'll find out. Well, I can tell you it's interesting because I learned that you have a boss and I didn't I didn't realize that you had a boss before because you are off of social media. I have no idea what you do. I, I've been thinking of you all this time as like some guy who's figured it all out and you are behind the scenes consulting and and and, and telling people how to do things. Like I, I think I in my email I referred to you as being post career. <laughs> Dude, that that made that made me spiral. I was so into that. <laughs> so, but that's that's what I think of you. That's uh, yeah. yeah. I love that version of me. <laughs> oh man, no, I I mean that kicks off so many different avenues of exploration. Some therapist related, some professionally interesting. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I, you're not wrong. He he's the founder of the company and I've been working there over a year now and I'm more of a partner. It's just I show my cards when I when I call my boss, you know, that's like residual career Catholic guilt, God knows what other kind of genetic, you know, <laughs> things exist. <laughs> when when things don't go right, I definitely have a boss all of a sudden, you know. But no, I I I don't feel like I actually do, which is a really nice thing to be able to say. I think this is the first time I've worked at an early stage startup where I feel like I'm, you know, on the same level as the as the founder. It's really good. What wasn't good was working for people that were borderline like sociopaths and narcissists. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you introduce yourself? I guess you can start with what what you're doing now. How do you, how do you identify as a as a worker? What what are you doing? What what do you do? Oh man, yeah, I do product and that is super nebulous kind of I feel almost intentionally, you know, it's a term in the technology industry that's existed for a long time, but means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's it's ultimately kind of like an orchestration role where you're kind of helping establish or define the vision for whatever the company or team is doing and then figuring out what to build, why you're building it, what order it gets built in, and spending a bunch of time with 
designers, engineers, researchers, uh, all the people that are kind of supporting the effort of, of making a thing. My angle on that, though, is doing it from a design background. So the majority of my career, I considered myself a designer. And it really hasn't been, in, in, you know, until the last couple of years that I've kind of let go of that, uh, for better or worse. It's hard, right? <laughs> yeah, it really is. It was so, so much of my identity was wrapped up in that. But the past three years have kind of been a transition out of that mindset, uh, certainly not leaving any of it behind. And I think I could easily kind of roll back into that. And it's almost impossible to not look at things as a designer. But uh, it's been really helpful to kind of say definitively, I don't do that at work anymore. And uh, I work with some other people now that have been my business partners in the past that are just, you know, amazing at it. That was one of the main reasons I was able to let go. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, all right. For, you have to tell people what your name is too. Oh gosh. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> uh, yes. My name is Justin Baum and uh, I live in New York City and I met our fine host, Jim, a very long time ago. So long. Uh, during some very formative years. And I'd say he, he is on a short list of people that has had a significant impact on oh, my sensibility i'm blushing i hope you are no okay. <laughs> yeah yeah i was really excited when you emailed me because of that i don't i don't know if i've ever told you that or if i can't remember if i put that in my email but uh no um, yeah yeah i i had i think i had drafted something very uh like a very romantic response to your, your invitation but i think i i don't remember why i didn't send it i think I probably did that thing where you start editing it and then you edit the edit and you're like, okay, just say yes and we'll have a talk. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, it, it was a long time ago. And it's funny because you just said something really nice about me, but my the thing that I've prepared to say about you is that when we met, you were an intern at Wellesley. I had just started there, so I didn't know anything. You had actually interned there before, so you knew more about my job than I did. And you were just psyched to be working there for like 10 bucks an hour or 12 bucks an hour or whatever it was. Right from the start, I was very impressed by you because your knowledge was very intense. You taught me a bunch of things. And then we we actually only hung out for a little while because you eventually graduated and moved to uh, San Francisco. So we, we only hung out for a couple of years. But during that time, instead of interning at Wellesley the next time around, you interned at some big advertising firm in Boston. And then you got a crazy job at Apple and you did all kinds of other crazy stuff. And it just seemed like every semester more and more people were acknowledging your skills and opening doors for you. And I was just completely in awe of, oh, man. of the whole process. Wow. And I still am. And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's why I'm asking you here. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, yeah, when you say it like that, I mean, it's really hard. And I suppose this is probably not unique to me. It's really hard to put myself back in that place and that like, kind of what, what my headspace was like back then. And, and it's funny, my memory of that time is, how much of your kind of cultural sensibility I absorbed and, you know, your perspective on art and kind of some of the things that you would, you know, confide in me about when it came to life in general. But yeah, I certainly got swept away. And I guess my main comment on, on that early phase, it wasn't a huge advertising agency. It was, a, you know, a digital production shop that was working for big ad agencies. Okay. It was called the Barbarian Group for anyone who was in the Boston area around then. Pretty unique group of people, a bunch of ex-goths and punk rockers that <laughs> right. were 10, 15 years older than I, I am. Some of them may be a little bit older than that. 
and just just doing doing their thing, you know, kind of figuring out how technology and kind of tra- you know traditional creative practices inside of like marketing and advertising were going to fit together. It was so cool to see that, and it did open a lot of doors. I owe so much of of what you mentioned to that crew. You know, they're kind of like my professional big brothers and right, uh, right, and, and, and you know, family. And yeah, we're single handedly responsible for getting me out of working on the Princess Diaries 2 motion picture movie soundtrack website in Flash, what? mind you, <laughs> and working on Apple.com. <laughs> was quite a, it was quite a rescue. I, I could have been doing like Geffen record websites for four years. But. but a lot of people who were students or recent graduates would jump at those opportunities. So like that's what I'm saying. All these doors were opening. So these options that are looking less appealing to you are still things that most people would be 100% super psyched to get. Absolutely. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, especially no, totally. at 20 years old or however old you you were at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know my ass for my elbow back then. <laughs> well, that's evidently a thing you can did. say on a, on a family <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean to say, I, you know, that was supposed to be self-deprecating. Like, I didn't understand how lucky I was. It took me a while. And not, not, you know, I'm not saying that I was like, I wasn't grateful or thought this happened to everybody. But the that early part of my career, I got moved really quickly from not like knowing what I wanted to do to kind of finding a niche by the time I left Apple. Right. And, and, and that took a lot of my friends, you know, the better part of 10 or 15 years. So I, I can look back on that now and be like, oh, wow, like you shortcutted and you may not have made it if you, you know, if you didn't get some of the help you got from, you know, folks that, that you met yeah, sure. along the way. It's a combination of luck and timing and skill. I could, yeah, exactly, exactly. I've been, yeah, I've been, and the luck part is what blows me away is just, you know, how things fell into place and, not to get too like sappy or go back too far, but it like almost goes back as far as like my mom making what seemed like not irrational, but like uh, very difficult decisions to invest in my education right, early right. on, like Montessori schools and Waldorf, all this stuff. Sure, that kind of set me up to be able to do what came more naturally to me, and that's like the more abstract and kind of conceptual side of of working with products, and it's still not really very formally defined or or um, repeatable. I suppose not. But I love it, you know, and and I I slowly kind of learned what I liked about making digital products. You know, the, I don't want to say the luck ran out, but <laughs> it becomes hard like the, the the further you get like thrust into management and leadership, yeah, and being responsible for big things, uh big projects, budgets and whatever, obviously like the less you you get away from the craft side and and mm-hmm. um you get away from the side that was really fulfilling because you may or may not be in some kind of flow state during part of your day if you're believing that kind of thing i, I do i i'm a big believer yeah <laughs> and you know and and you're just in meetings all the time i kind of collide hit a wall with that stuff and i didn't know what to do pretty much around the time we moved to new york that was that was about it and you were working for kurt noble then or for no yeah there actually is a, there are a bunch of interesting stories between those two you know, events. Kurt Noble was the, you know, music industry website, first job in San Francisco, super small shop, like great guys. One of my best friends growing up in Maine was working there and he kind of helped me get in. But then I jumped, then I jumped to Apple in 2005 and worked on the apple.com website until about 2007. That's when what people refer to as web 2.0 really started getting going. 
And so I was actually kind of uh, not very interested in, you know, Mac.com kind of stuff back then. Mm -hmm. Like what they were doing with web apps wasn't um, particularly exciting. And I was looking at Flickr and, you know, YouTube was starting to get going. And there was a lot of exciting stuff happening with social networking in in like the really old school sense, you know, and not, not just like Friendster and MySpace, but like how can you have a portable social network that, you know, much like what people are talking about now with web three. So I, I like fell in love with that and kind of wanted to go out and, and figure out how to how to work more with that type of technology. Right. And that's when I went back to the barbarian group, you know, after interning there before leaving Boston. Because they had an office out there too. Yeah, they had just opened an office in San Francisco. And uh, at the end of my time at Apple, I kind of figured out that user experience design was the thing that I was going to do and kind of like the, the, the discipline that I was going to invest all my time in. And I was able to help the Barbarian Group get their UX practice going. I feel like you told me at the time that you were, you were the only Flash guy working at Apple at the time, which is sort of hilarious given Apple's historic so relationship with, with Flash. <laughs> yeah, I literally had like a flat brim new era back then, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just terrible, you know, complete like San Francisco 2005 picture fix gear bike and just like yeah the flash guy I, right, but, but but then you started doing this this user experience stuff i remember you telling me or maybe i read it i don't remember that you were doing user experience stuff and but that was like you were the first person that i ever heard like that was the first time i ever heard that term as a career term and like so you were ux before it was cute <laughs> yeah now it's an industry buzz term but then it was just like Oh, what's that? No, I, I could, yeah, I could spend an entire podcast talking about that. It was so new back then, like gen generationally new too, because there, there were folks that, that were 10, 20 years older than, than I was that had kind of brought that practice into being. Interaction design was, uh, you know, something that this guy, Alan Cooper, wrote a, a really popular book about called About Face. And then you had the whole adaptive path crew that were the ones that really championed and, and helped educate the Bay Area um, technology industry about user experience design and user-centered design. And, and then obviously, like, there's a whole history of human-computer interaction, HCI and human factors going way back. But like UX, as we know it today, certainly came out of the mid-2000s, you know, early 2000s. And you helped develop it. Yeah, I wish I wrote more about it during the during the time. You know, I have like I have all these drafts of like really I go back and like uh, they make me laugh because I was so passionate and so critical of, you know, what was going on in the industry and ultimately I don't think it actually worked out, which is which is cr crazy to think about. Like I, I actually don't think that user-centered design, you know, quote unquote won in the end if you look at where we ended up. Should we talk about that? <laughs> I, I guess we could. I mean, there's like there's UX the discipline or the practice like this the, you know you that you do as a job that you might have a team of or certainly the skills that comprised ux back then have kind of been dispersed into a bunch of different roles which i think is good people tend to you know be a bit more generalist now unless they're extremely research focused but then there's ux the thing right like the the thing that anybody contributing to making a a product is is a part of and and you know to a certain degree responsible for and most of the problems that I think the social software that came out of the 2000s created in culture kind of lead back to the industry's failure to really be user-centered, you know, and how ethics and values and kind of 
<laughs> moral decision making factors into the design process. What's right? that? Yeah, <laughs> that hasn't anything to do with with algorithms or yeah. <laughs> no, for real, it's yeah, it, it's kind of kind of scary. It is, yeah. But I also find it interesting. Well, I, I maybe disgusting. I, I find it disgusting that UX is such a huge part of the tech industry. Yet most of the biggest companies have a terrible user experience. I guess you don't really use social media, but I've been using Facebook a little bit for promoting this podcast, and it is possibly the worst user experience I could imagine. Yeah, and I, you, you're going to have to like stop me from going too deep on this, but there, and this is like a, a book or a series of posts I should write at some point. Uh, I, and I, they probably exist. I don't want to like toot my own horn too much i'm sure somebody has covered this very you well the but... first person to think yeah. these things <laughs> no definitely I, I just haven't seen them articulated specifically in this way but you could kind of say that that ux died the day facebook knighted designers as product designers like product design before 2011 this is kind of the best approximation i i have for a date was like the domain of industrial designers right like you were making beautiful toasters and you know, doing all kinds of stuff that related to physical objects. And, and yeah, I'm sure some of them were technology-based, but this notion of, of like moving fast and breaking things, you know, uh -huh. that term, yeah, right? That, definitely. Um, kind of went along with like, hey, we'll, we'll do the UX later or like we'll kind of sideline. And I mean, this is a very pessimistic view. I have to be careful, but we'll, we'll maybe do a little lip service to being truly user-centered and we'll test and iterate, right? Like let's, Let's just start designing things faster. Let's hire designers that are more adept with actually building the UI. And this rolls really nicely into this whole concept of lean startup and, and mm -hmm. uh, the idea that you, know, you have a minimum viable product and you just keep iterating and iterating until you lock in some kind of product market fit. I'm trying to use all the jargon <laughs> I know right now. <laughs> and, and then, you know, then what do you get, right? Like you get this whole industry of inflated valuations for companies and you you know people start to think that it can't have a business without being venture backed and yep uh, the design like the essence of kind of, of design in my opinion it just got lost in in all of that particularly the the user-centered part and so in around 2011 things really changed and there was a shift and then by 2016 they had basically won right the kind of extraction based algorithmic feed apps had just taken over and that was it. So it didn't leave a lot of room for the style of user centered design and UX design that I was taught in the late 2000s or mid 2000s, particularly by Adaptive Path to really go anywhere. And, and I think that that culture got kind of stuck in this battle of like, how do we get a seat at the table? I just didn't want to fight that battle. And, and that's what led me to product. You have people that are at like the sea level with design titles and we still have all these problems. Uh, like what's what's really going on, you know? So I, I guess I kind of retreated in a sense too to I want to work at smaller companies in a head of product position where I, I have more ability to build a, a product culture around a design ethos, basically. Right, or, right. Or, or design perspective. You, you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like the tech software startup culture that you're talking about is uh, analogous to the the music world where people see that it's a place to make money they learn the the buzzwords and the jargon and they they go to work there they become executives they they make lots of money they are in charge but their hearts not necessarily in the right place kind of like the music industry has all these people coming in and you've got accountants and economists running the company instead of the people who used to do it who were actually invested in making money don't get me wrong, but also 
in music itself. There was a there was a a love for music on top of being interested in making it into a business. It sounds to me like what you're talking about is is a similar thing in in the tech world. Yeah, yeah, and I I think the tech world and particularly the world of you know venture backed tech companies because the money's so out, big. Yeah, that the business the all that has to be baked into the way it starts, right? Yeah, you know, you're, you know, and that there's a case to be made that the that you can approach that whole problem as a designer too, like, and that's what I'm really interested in is, you know, to make something that is both culturally interesting or 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 valuable or or has a chance to be, but also you know is is, is doing that with some of the latest and greatest tech. How can you do that without getting yourself in a position where you're just being pushed to grow constantly? That's a great question. That was my prepared answer to your question about <laughs> success that is inevitably coming. And there's nothing wrong with lifestyle. I don't even know what that term really means in 2022. But there's lifestyle businesses are, are you know, an answer you get from VCs when they don't think that your company will ever be worth 10 times as much as, you know, as they put into it or something. Okay. And it's like, it's the most insulting thing, right? So, <laughs> you know, if, if, if there's two things that I want to do related, that I've wanted to do for 10 years now that still, I still don't think exist. One's related to music and the other is related to, um, to travel, basically. Neither of them uh, are big enough businesses to warrant venture capital. And, and I think that's actually a good thing. And I think that's hopefully where a lot of people start going. And a lot of people have been going there for a long time. I'd love to see more companies that that are are culturally interesting technology companies. Yeah, um, well it's it's just hard to it's hard to compete I think for smaller if you don't get the the capital injection then it's harder to compete because you run out of money. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happened where I worked. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, I was, yeah, was so, going to ask you like, about I that. Have, yeah. like, I, everybody got laid off. So. <laughs> no, totally. I've been there twice twice myself, you know, like I've gone down with the ship once and kind of jumped overboard early on another another yeah. one. So it's like when you're, when you're starting a business, do you want to maintain as much control and autonomy as possible so you can you can form the thing into what you think it should be. I think it changes the timetable and it changes the focus for the first three to five years where you just have to, you have to break even. Uh, you probably need another job too if you're, <laughs> if you're making some software for like describing music, uh, you know, uh, it also goes back to how the tech industry incentivizes people to develop lifestyles or, or ways of thinking about their life that makes it more difficult for them to do other things you know, you kind of get stuck, whether that's be because the benefits are too great or you get paid too much or whatever. And I, th I think a lot of that is changing and has changed since COVID. But a lot of people got stuck. I, you know, a lot of my peers, I feel like got stuck. I feel I feel like I just barely got out. My partner, my wife, Betanise, uh, kind of got the cane out and yanked me <laughs> over to New York. <laughs> you're done here. So you're in product now. So what what are, what are you making? And also just maybe in general, when you talk about product that encompasses like anything that a company can make, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a function in the org organization that operates at a bunch of different levels, different altitudes where you have, you know, a product manager, or like a, a product analyst at a really big company that's just gathering all of kind of the inputs that would inform how, you know, how you might be thinking about the product that, that you are, that you're building for your customers. 
then you have like a product manager or a bunch of product managers that are incredibly focused on kind of day-to-day orchestration of the design and development process, like Mm -hmm. basically getting new software out the door. This is something I'm sure you're intimately familiar with from your... Well, I yeah, no, definitely. But I'm not sure that everybody who listens is... Yeah. And so a product manager, and this all changes drastically depending on the size of the company. Like if you're doing that at Google, it's very different than doing it for a, a you know, a smaller, a smaller company, but right. you're, you're, you're organizing the work essentially, and you're making sure things are getting, getting shipped, um, which is, uh, you know, jargon for, um, you know, releasing new software or, uh, you know, putting it out in the world, um, whether that's like a small change to like fix some bugs or problems or a big feature release or a whole entire new version of the product. Uh, and then... As you start to go above that, that that product manager role, you get into like a, a more nebulous space where product strategy is introduced. Like, why are you know why are we doing what we're doing? What are we doing next? What's the vision for this thing? How is it making money? How are we growing long term? And then my favorite part is kind of the operational part. And if you don't if you don't have somebody that's in charge of operations, product tends to facilitate how engineering design and business all uh, work together or or not (laughs) (laughs) and and i i kind of i love i love that part of it i think so much of what i observed as a designer was okay well why isn't this working why why aren't we able to do the the best thing in this scenario why did this stuff that got designed not get developed correctly why are developers always frustrated with the business team i started to appreciate process and quickly realized it wasn't process that I liked, but kind of more culture and, and what a, a culture looks like when you have design, engineering, and, and and business people collaborating in a way that's healthy. Yeah, natural. You know, and it, natural, the idea that that exists and you can kind of exist in a, in a, a steady state of making and collaborating with people that probably look at things incredibly differently than you do is is became it kind of became both elusive but something that I wanted really badly and and that is what drove me more towards product. I kind of missed the opportunity to be a product manager and you know the people that do that job really well tend to have a business background or a computer science background they're either yeah, like yeah, yeah, really yeah. adept with engineering or they could be running a business themselves. So I you know I, I tried to approach it from the perspective of a designer, you know, and that I think mostly meant just focusing on collaboration, like like getting people rallying around one vision for something, uh, not and not owning that, but you know, really trying to help it come out of that that ooze. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a a healthy healthy way to do it, and yeah, it just feels, it sounds organic, right? It's yeah, yeah. That's the most. I think that's the most important thing is to is to not over process things when cultures are built around kind of a rigid way of doing things. Yeah, I like a hierarchy. <laughs> hierarchy is horrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's just like people that have been lucky enough to experience collaboration in art or, or, or design mm-hmm. uh, or or technology. You know, it, it's hard to go back once you once you've seen a team of people that like that are really working well together and everyone's happy and, and more or less fulfilled. Yeah, um, I, I hear you, but I can tell you it's pretty hard to find. Yeah. I've, I've had pretty bad luck <laughs> looking for <Yeah>. such things. <laughs> and uh, every time I have an, an interview, I sort of feel kind of like a weirdo. I know what you I know exactly what you mean. And it's yeah. not a good feeling. Yeah. yeah. But I also, I'm too old to pretend that I'm not who I am. 
Yeah. So I'm just yeah. like, okay, well, I guess this is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what else would you do, right? Like I think all other decisions lead to some form of unhappiness. Yeah, I know. I'm already yeah. unhappy. I don't need to be more unhappy. See, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the listeners can tell, maybe you can tell, but I'm like fighting, fight, I'm trying to like hide how jaded I am. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's just, let's do this. Let's just, let's go there. Like it was, it was a rough run, right? Like I, I feel like even though I am grateful and I can't claim this, but to some extent I, I do understand how, how privileged I was to, to have the opportunities I had. It still messed me up, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know? of course. Of like course. it, it, it all the stress all of the churn, like this is horrible term churn and burn you know like, <laughs> where like when i was working at agencies i i had a, a managing director of the agency i was at literally say no no the the model is to get younger people in and just work them until they burn until out until they leave. burn out yeah and i couldn't stand the guy but I don't know if respect is the right word, but at least he wasn't lying to my face. Right. You know? I guess that's good. And, 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 you know, in that, in that moment, you're kind of thinking back through the past 15 years of working. You're like, yeah, wow. Like, or like business, the businesses don't really care if you're happy or not. Yeah. yeah. That's not necessarily their, yeah. their first priority, especially since there's an almost never ending supply of graduates that just keeps getting pumped out of the system. Yeah. I'm not super in touch with the kids these days <laughs> well i'm not either but a little <laughs> bit more maybe a little bit more than you yeah yeah i do listen yeah definitely definitely <laughs> it seems like there's some some currents that are headed in the right direction in terms of rejecting or just not being so um i may i don't know how to say this they're just a little a little more relaxed about the idea of you know not being like the best employee yeah, well, there's like a like a humanity injection. Yeah, like the common sense, like some sort of innate ability to understand. Well, at least people are talking about it. Yeah, yeah definitely. I love that. And, uh, you know, actually a lot of what helped me get out of a real deep hole when I did finally leave, um, but I, when I closed that like first part of my career in 2019, was, was listening to a lot of younger people talk about things I hadn't really heard about before, like pretty deep theory and cultural criticism and like a total reframing for me of of like what happened with the tech industry over the past 15 years and it was it was uh super timely for me you know it helped me kind of process a lot of a lot of what didn't feel right you know kind of on the other on the other side of uh that first part which is what i what i assumed you meant by post career <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, well no maybe that's what maybe that's what the rest of the world means i but i i just kind of yeah i meant it more uh as just being so accomplished in your field that you're just recognized and uh and people just come to you for work rather than you going to them for work right yeah i still haven't done that i did i started a, a design studio in 2019 with two of my favorite people I, i've ever worked with and we did some interesting work together but i've never i've never put that like consultant flag out there in a significant way where like i'm writing you know something interesting once a week on, on my site and <laughs> I might, I might end up do, I might end up doing that. At some point. You should do. <laughs> that's what everyone keeps telling me to do, and I'm just like, what? what like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. how, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, do, I'm not into like self promotion and the horrible term personal branding and all that. I'm just not, exactly. I'm just not. Yeah, I'm not. It's not for me. I, I'd rather do the work, and that is why I've accepted that I, you know, I, working in house and probably at, you know earlier stage companies is. is the best thing for me in terms of fulfillment. Selling is really hard. I, ultimately, I think we 
we threw the towel in on the studio because we just none of us wanted to go out and sell, you know, and and pitch and whatever other horrible kind of things you have to do to to get good work. And yeah, it just wasn't for, wasn't for us. Kind of like you're saying with the job interviewing thing, like you know, I'm I couldn't pretend. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard yeah. to pretend. It's, been, it's just been, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just been too long being the person that I am. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> but you're you're also you're so good at that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are. I mean, <laughs> I, when I when I I hadn't looked at your website in a long time, and it was like being, and I don't mean this in a, in a nostalgic way at all. It was just like being back in Wellesley with you, like you you like you, and this is your this is your like your art practice, right? Uh-huh. It's like your ability to kind of use who you are as as a a way to kind of interact with the world, whether it's on a website or through like a show or something. Or yeah, but it's all know. I know how to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all I know how to do. Yeah. No, it's not true. I know how to do a lot of things, but it's it's yes, it's do. how I facilitate all the things that I do. Yeah, and uh, it's nice to hear someone recognize it. <laughs> yeah, man. And I mean, let's let's be honest. Let's. Let's be honest. You were a little ahead of the game there. I'd say. I think I was. I just I think I'm really you were a bad little at marketing. Ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my name is Jim Turbert, and I invented social media. <laughs> but it's also kind of ironic that back in the day, back in those days, I was writing all kinds of dumb minutiae of my of my life in in a blog or whatever before yeah. everybody was doing it on Facebook and stuff. And now I hate it so much on Facebook, but. <laughs> I, I can't like I just can't stand to read what everybody's thinking and feeling. I it um it drives me crazy a little bit. And uh but yeah, I was doing it. And people were reading it. I mean I I could see the stats. People were reading it. Anyway, that was that was a long time ago. Those are just to dwell on that for a second, say what you will about like crypto and NFTs and web three. It is nice to recognize some of the the values that this generation is talking about. Uh-huh. Uh, line up with with the time period you're describing. I think there's a lot like that whole idea of owning your stuff and having it go with you anywhere and having identity, you know, not be centralized around something like like Facebook or whatever. Yeah, uh, is good. And so it's it's like it's really cool to see those values reemerge and kind of push against all the consolidation and. To your point earlier, all the crappy product, you know, end user experience stuff out there oh, now. It's so bad. That we tolerate. <laughs> it's so bad. I don't know how you manage to do it, but I think every day about stopping. I stay on Facebook, not only for promotion of the podcast, but because it's the only way I can communicate with some Americans. And then, you know, the rest of the stuff is just kind of, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to promote a podcast and they tell me that this is the way to do it. But it, yeah, I don't really see any evidence that it's working. It's just a lot of time. And energy and can I can I t- do you, did you ever do you ever watch uh, Rick and Morty? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, I feel like trying to feed the social media algorithm is like the episode when when Rick builds a universe of people who stamp on the ground and it charges the battery in his car. <laughs> oh no! And then the people in that universe built a universe to perform some fun- some tedious function, so they don't have to do the stamping anymore, and it just kind of cascades into infinity of people doing something completely mindless and stupid so rick's car battery gets charged yeah that's what i feel like i'm doing every time i do social media oh man i'm still struggling with it but you know i just i got off of all of it what i do is like keeping up on design patterns yep you know i suck at it because i can't i just i can't tolerate uh those apps anymore the thing that's so frustrating is that and and there's literally no alternative right um which is why you're you know promoting the podcast on facebook (laughs) exactly Uh, 
and and there's and so there's good like there's actually good content and information on there and i do some crazy stuff i i don't have the twitter app on my phone but i follow individual twitter accounts through an rss reader so i can look at them all individually right what rss reader i use feedbin Feedbin's awesome. And then I use a native iOS and Mac app called Reader, spelled with two E's, uh, which has been around for a long time. That's great. And I just, it's just a, such a fundamentally different way of, of experiencing that type of content flow or information flow. You can even filter out retweets, which is wild because, you know, someone might, uh, someone might have a crazy ratio of, of, of their own tweets to retweets. Mm-hmm. And when you strip out all the retweets and it's just things they're saying, it's actually... You know, it depends on the account or the person, but it's quite personal. It feels almost voyeuristic. You're not meant to be seeing it that way. You're meant to be seeing it algorithmically prioritized for you in the in like the core app, right? And I used to do the same thing with Instagram. Uh, I used to pay to convert Instagram feeds to RSS. Yeah, I was going to say I didn't think Instagram had an RSS feed. Yeah, but they you know they cracked down on it, and I think another one has sprouted up that will allow you to do it. But it's just frustrating because I would love to see a feed of every art gallery in lower Manhattan's Instagram. Sure. Yeah. You know, like that would help me enjoy living here and not just like go to Trader Joe's and, you know, <laughs> play with my cats. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't exist. You can't do that, no. you know, and and then you wouldn't see any of the ads. Well, I don't, I don't want to see any of the ads. <laughs> <laughs> no, you yeah. don't. So, I mean, I think that's that's got to get figured out. This is the pessimism and probably jadedness showing, but I don't have a lot of faith that Web3 is going to tip that over really quickly. But at least at least the blueprint is there and there are people that are extremely passionate, you know, downright kind of utopian about where we could go if we all did it right. <laughs> I'm sure that there will be a brief period where some great things happen that nobody's thinking of now or no, the majority of people can't even fathom because it's just not a possibility to them yet. And right. as soon as that's exploited, then it it'll all be over yeah uh, yeah it, and that's the biggest critique right of well of anything whole... really yeah <laughs> it happens to everything yeah that's true yeah like since, you had a head since forever on, cave paintings you had yeah your your critique of capitalism has a had a head start on mine i wish you had give sh- shaken me a bit more back then <laughs> i yeah i mean i can critique capitalism i guess I, I listen to others' critiques of capitalism quite quite a bit, but like really, I'm just a slave to capitalism, like everybody else, and uh, I'm afraid to uh, abandon it. I just feel like Me I too. don't have any options. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can't like I don't well, I don't want to speak for you, but what I do for a living, you just can't separate them. No, they are they you know, it's just not possible. You know, and again, going back to some of those podcasts that were helpful that's kind of they kind of started back around 2019 there's one called new models i don't know if you know that what is it called uh, new models this guy julian uh wadsworth i went to emerson with who was really uh, really unique he was studying film but just like culturally out there but also i'm really in tune with everything that was going on he ended up in berlin and started with a bunch of other very smart people started this um this new models thing and it's one it's one of the best kind of views on on culture and technology i think that that i've encountered that's one and then the other was interdependence it's a podcast by matt dryhurst and holly herndon she's a uh, like a technology art uh you know musician uh, yeah uh, i know who she is yeah those two those two pods definitely give me some ability to kind of see beyond where where capitalism has kind of taken technology right um, i will definitely be checking them out do it but um what what are you actually making? What are you working on? Yeah, okay. So I never thought I would work 
on commercial real estate software. <laughs> and I, speaking of capitalism, and I never, I never thought I would work on financial software. And I also never thought I would work on software for big industrial conglomerates like United Technologies, who owns like Otis Elevators and Jeez, yeah. Whitney airplane engines. So part of my career has been just being exposed to all these different domains that I know literally nothing about. Right. right. And then you like, you get, you get some minor education in them through doing a project or two. And the best thing to come out of that was this notion, actually the guy that runs design at, at the company, you know, that premise is you can make anything cool. He has really pushed that to the limits <laughs> in, follow, <laughs> in follow, you know, not following, but in, in, in joining me in, in some of these, these gigs and, and full-time jobs that are for industries that just wouldn't seem exciting. But that's where, that's where uh, the more systematic and kind of architectural and pattern focused side of product and product design kicks in where where the domain provides the problem, but then actually designing the software and, and building it is like its own unique endeavor. And so we're, we're making workflow software for commercial real estate brokers, which uh, is is fairly innocuous compared to other things that happen inside commercial real estate. If you were a company and wanted to find a new office, you would go through a process uh, with a broker usually that would involve not a lot of tech. It would be a lot of PowerPoint presentations, literal PDF printout tours. Um, and what was happening, what's happening on the, the kind of other side of that is, is just a bunch of preparation work, a bunch of like kind of uh, looking through pretty archaic sets of market data, or I should say uh, archaic databases uh, that have a bunch of market data. And there's like no centralization of all this stuff. No one has like made the Zillow for commercial real estate. And that probably will never happen for reasons that are really specific to the way commercial real estate works. Uh, so we're basically just making tools for someone to do their job every day. And that job happens to involve dealing with their clients. So it's kind of it's kind of like collaboration software. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with the data that comes out of that. And there's a lot of interesting stuff you can do with kind of existing com commercial real estate market data. The thing that is exciting about it to me is that it hasn't hasn't kind of, hasn't been tipped over yet. There are so few industries that haven't gone through what consultants call a digital transformation, and okay. that basically just means using software to do, you know do your job or provide your service much better than before. Right on, yeah, it's fertile you know. ground. Yeah, yeah, and we've been able to put together a pretty novel approach, I think, to how we're thinking about the way commercial real estate brokers are going to work with their, their clients. Um, and a, lo a lot of it is about like data reuse. If you think of a, a traditional marketplace for residential real estate like Zillow, there's like one URL to that home. It rarely changes in terms of its properties or facets, its, you know, its attributes. And you kind of just pass that link around. Commercial real estate is way more, it evolves more, right? If you, if you think of one like industrial lot, the way that may change over a five-year period is like, is, is practically infinite. It can get cut up. Things can get added to it. Sure. And what you end up needing is more of like a timeline of events. Oh. So it's like an address, if you think of an address as just a timeline of changes to that property. It's like one of those things where they tell you the history of a used car. Exactly. Oh, it's a, I never thought of that. That's yeah. great. Idea. Yeah, man. All right. Nice. I can't remember what the name of the, the, the service is, but. Is that like Carfax or something? Something like that. Yeah. yeah that that yeah, sounds no. about right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then to go deeper into that, you may have a bunch of different brokers that all reference the same property in the same year, but they may, they may represent the property different depending on what their client needs. So it's more of like a chain 
or an event stream for for a property than it is like a static marketplace place listing like an eBay listing or a, a Zillow listing or something. And that that was that's the way that we framed it up on the product side uh, to make it fun, you know, and I think ultimately differentiated the other people that are kind of doing what we're doing are, are approaching it more traditionally i think but i i don't know i don't know if there's a direct uh, correlation to this but i remember a long time ago when we were both still in boston and you were you were telling me about some new motion graphics software that you're using i can't remember what it was but instead of being timeline based it was node based <laughs> yes I, I feel like you're just just now you were expa- explaining to me the node based version of of this type of software <laughs> nice no, that's, I mean, there, that's true. You know, it's, it's, uh, what, man, what program was that? It I was, can't remember if you it said was the name. The, it was in the Flame and Inferno family. If it uh, wasn't Flame or Inferno, it was, Flame it was something Inferno. else. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like systems problems. Uh-huh. Those, you know, that's like how I see, how I see things, but not, not in the engineering sense. That's where I've really struggled is to figure out like what the hell I'm talking about. You know, like if I go and talk to a business person, they're like, oh, I think you're describing a business model. I think you're just describing the user experience. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm conceptualizing the system. And it's like, what the hell? <laughs> and then if I talk to an engineer, the same thing happens. And through collaborating with um, my old business partner and the current head of engineering, and through a lot of arguing, good, na- you know, good natured arguing, I basically figured out that their like, product has four, or I figured out as in I figured out how to explain it to myself. Uh, product has four spinning plates that you have to spin at the same time. Uh-huh. There's the business model. There's the um, implementation model. That's the engineering. Like, how is it actually built? There's the conceptual model. That's like the designer. And then there's the um, the mental model, which is the end customer or the end user. So <laughs> somehow when you're trying to make a thing, you need to you need to reconcile or align the business model, the implementation model, the conceptual model, and the mental model. Yeah, dude. It's holistic. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, those are the puzzles I like. I've been really happy with how um, interesting this particular company has been, you know, and how it just like touches on all four of those things in a way that's really, really neat and really um, fun to work on with other people, you know. When is that going to be ready for consumption? It's out there now. It's it's called Lease Up. It's just uh, in its infancy. The founder has been at it for a while. He, uh, he started the company, I think, two and a half years ago. And I, I've, I've worked with a bunch of people like him in the past in that he doesn't have a, a technology background or a product background. He's a domain expert, right? Like he, he worked in commercial real estate for a, a while. He's younger than I am. And then just got fed up with the lack of tools and started trying to figure out how to, you know, how to build a technology startup that would solve those problems. Right. Um, and he went through a bunch of iterations of it. And I actually, uh, my old business partner, Wilson, and I pitched him and gave him a t- like a ton of free advice and he denied us. Ah, <laughs> so he has, I know, classic, <laughs> classic move. And then a year later, at least a year later, he came back and this is like one of the more you know, professionally vindicating, pat yourself on the back moments I've ever had. But he's like, everything you said would happen, happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were trying, <laughs> we were trying uh, to convince him not to outsource anything. And he had some, some trouble with that. And that started the conversation again. And I ended up joining the company last June. And it, the, the, the biggest difference is that, that he, uh, Kurt, has a tremendous amount of, um, and like empathy and self-awareness. And it's just like, it's still, strikes me even though i've been there for over a year you know every time that, that that's really on display it's it's such a it's such a stark contrast to what i experienced for 15 years and 
has given me a lot of uh it's giving me a new kind of a new perspective on how important who you work for or who you know who you work with yep is so if you take like the interesting nature of the problem the fact that the two people that i started the design studio with have since joined as the head of design and head of engineering and then the founder kurt's character it's a pretty good situation it's like a nice antidote to some of the blues that i had you know when i was transitioning into into product you know yep. more full-time it sounds yeah i mean it sounds like you're enjoying what you're doing do you think of yourself as being a successful guy yeah. i mean i don't know yeah. if you can tell but I, I i think of you as a successful guy no yeah i don't have conversations <laughs> like this very often so <laughs> of course not <laughs> i think i gotta yeah i i i unfortunately you know i think i get stuck in some pretty negative ways of thinking yeah. about myself sometimes particularly in the past three years but i have gotten unstuck and i place more importance on now knowing what i think success what kind of success i want what that looks like or what that is as opposed to whether or not i am successful or have been you know i'm not the kind of person that dwells on what went wrong you know, like that trajectory that you described in the beginning kind of plateaued and went away. Right. But I don't that doesn't stress me out or bum me out. I don't, I'm not I don't feel the need to be the best at anything or, you know, have a certain job title. You know, like we enjoy the lifestyle that we've set up with, you know, living in Chinatown in Manhattan with no kids and two cats on a seven floor walk up. It's pretty great. You know, it's like, yeah, sounds good, got, man. Got to, got to maintain that. But other than that, I just I. I just want, um, I think I want to be able to work, you know, and practice product or design in the ways that I want to with the people that I want to be working with. Going back to that, that idea that, that being at a team that feels healthy and kind of happy and creative it is so elusive, but it's not impossible, right? And, and I joke with Roy, the, he the head of design, my old business partner, that this is the, the phase where you treat your design career as a speculative asset. Or <laughs> 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 it's like, okay, there's no no denying that that was good, and and yeah, there was some, there's a there was a bunch of success. Uh, there were parts of it that really stung and kind of caused some mental health challenges, let's say. So that speculative asset, like it's something you can cash in, right? For me, the most important thing to take from that part of the career is is the ability to be somewhat autonomous and, and kind of control what happens every day. And that that I is I think one of the things I'm the most appreciative appreciative of and, and feel privileged to have is that that my days are kind of mine again. Sounds like and, success to me. Dude, I guess so. Yeah. You know, and I just I hope it lasts. You know, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> if, the, yeah if, the, if the company doesn't work out, there's there could be another full time job at a huge company ahead of me. God, you know, or if the company's successful, maybe if you have to, right? Yeah, maybe I'll be able to do one of these two products I've been wanting to do for a couple years. And mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it does feel like success. It's um, when you pop your head up out of it, right? You know, I don't know. I don't know why. You know, why are we so hard on ourselves? I know it's different for everybody, but not everybody is the, though. Just so you know, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, you caught me. <laughs> Some people are very self-congratulatory. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I misunderstood. But also there some people are just oblivious. <laughs> to yeah, everything. completely. Yeah. Yeah, the self-congratulatory stuff. I mean, this is the other thing I thought we might be able to talk about is just I've I've been I can't get the concept of sensibility out of my head. Okay. Someone's sensibilities. I think I might have referenced yours in the beginning. Uh-huh of our chat but 
somebody I was interviewing for a job, like a, a kind of a managerial job at a big tech company that will go unnamed. They asked me the classic question of, you know, what, what would you look for in, in people you're hiring? And, and I said what I knew was the quote unquote wrong answer. And that was taste. <laughs> yes. and, you know, the, the person looked, the person looked at me like, you know, that's the wrong answer, don't you? You know, <laughs> but I, 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 I obviously, yeah, I well, I, it was a dumbass question. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted something from the script of what makes a good UXer or something. But after work, you know, working with people for a while, I just couldn't shake the fact that like sensibility and taste is the most important thing. It's, uh, it's pretty important. I, I it's think pretty it's important. important. Yeah. And the amount of like, um, poo-pooing I got for that was pretty, pretty amazing. That that's, you know, going back to being self-congratulatory or not being, of being oblivious or that that's the other side of, of, you know, what's happened to, because of social media and culture is it, that's all on display now. I really, you know, I think it was already there, but it just gave, it gave us a way to yeah, no, for people no, to willingly expose themselves. Everybody, everybody has a microphone now. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. I don't know. I'm not sure how how long these normally go, but uh, I feel guilty and like I'm, I'm missing your your side of your side of the update. But I suppose that I'm that I was supposed to do that earlier. In this uh, you, there, you don't have to do anything. And uh, honestly. The people who listen to this hear about me all the goddamn time. Yeah, I was I was wondering about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want somebody to listen to me. No, I, this is yeah, this has felt rather indulgent. I definitely am no, sweating a little bit. Yeah. It's good. That's why I asked. That's why I asked you though. How how's the family? How how old are are, are the kids now? Nine and eleven. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's totally crazy. Time goes so fast. It is both uh, the best and the worst sometimes. And also, you know, like Ruby's eleven now. You know, she's not like a little kid anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it just goes so fast. Talk about sensibilities. That's like, that's when it begins to for real to emerge. And I have to keep telling myself to just let her do her do her thing. Right. Because like she has such bad taste in music and. Uh, <laughs> That's the most. That's the that's the most gem thing you've said the entire. It's so bad. The entire conversation. And I tried like her whole life. She's been listening. Yeah. Like I've 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 had like playlists for them, child appropriate lists of actual music, not music written for kids, and like danceable stuff, like quiet stuff, like melt, you know, like for different moods, and and uh, I somehow she just yeah the stuff that she gravitates yeah. towards is uh is is not approved by the council. No. You gotta give me you gotta give me something give me one name of what she's into. Yeah, you wouldn't even know because it's I like this know. this okay. Dutch yeah. this Dutch thing for like it's it's called Kinderen for Kinderen. It's uh it means children for children. It's music marketed to and for children. It's groups of kids singing these pop songs, obviously not written by the children, but it's completely soulless. And it sounds like that they're created by an, it sounds like the songs are created by an algorithm. They, they have a song called Plastic Soup, and it's about the plastic in the ocean. They're just like, there's, this is a headline. Let's make a song about this because this is something <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that is in the news. Yeah. And they say, oh, see, we're teaching kids about plastic or whatever. It's like nightmare time. But yeah, I, I mean, it feels I, generated, right? It really does. And yeah. and the thing is, like, the songs aren't even really 
They don't even feel like songs. There's a lot of, yeah, I don't know, whatever. I, I don't forbid her to use them and I try to keep my mouth shut. I, I do I do criticize them. I have to make jokes about them. It's just part of my nature. <laughs> but occasionally I'll just put it on for her, you know, while she's there doing work or whatever. I'll just put it on. I don't want to push my hatred of her music because I'm afraid it will drive her closer to it. That's true. And it's very, yeah. <laughs> It's a good dad move. Oh, man, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, you got to stay the course. <laughs> it's really hard. And that's when that's when headphones come in handy. Yeah. Think about how, how delighted you will be the first time a major significant overlapping. I am so you know looking happen. forward to that. You know it's going to happen. My youngest daughter, D- D- uh, Doris, does like, I don't know if she really likes it or if she just kind of knows that I like it, but she's like, play the loud stuff. <laughs> and... and <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know if she's just she's requesting it because she knows that I like it and she wants to be like, you know, like have a bonding moment or whatever. But uh, I, I, whenever she asks, I put it on. So, <laughs> you know, could be anything. I think she's like she just like anything with loud guitars, essentially, is what she's talking about. That bodes well. Yeah. 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 Agreed. And yeah. every time I discover something that's that's new and kind of weird, I'll try to play it for them. When I was younger, I used to listen to music with my uncle a lot and when I would hear something, of course, I would like a lot of stuff, but every now and then there's like one thing and you're like, oh, wow, this sounds so amazing. I need to listen to it more. I want to like, I need more of this. That starts you digging for what you're really interested in. That's I'm just waiting for that to happen. Yeah. I want to, I want to see it happen. Yeah. Oh, that'd be <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I've got, we've got some nieces and nephews that are, um, what are they? Eight and nine? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Or maybe seven and eight. No, eight and nine. And I haven't even seen a spark yet. The concept of liking specific bands, like they look at me like I'm crazy. What are you talking about? It's just Roblox. You know? I don't know. Yeah, whatever's playing when I'm playing this Roblox. Maybe we're past that. I, I, I don't really, I don't really know. But I, I feel like we're not past it. Or we don't no, have to be past it. I, no, yeah. I think we'll probably end up with, with like generated pop stars, though, I bet. Well, yeah. Well, have you seen yeah. any of these things they keep posting online lately about oh, so deep into the art? It. Yeah, you'll love you'll love that interdependence show. It's it's ba- basically an analysis of that from people that have been seeing it coming for like five years. Okay, war- like tried to warn everybody. Yeah, and didn't everyone was like, ah, oh, no, that's 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 too far out. They're startling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, com- completely startling. Completely. Yeah. It's and not nuts. just not just the output, just the like the like what's happening conceptually is mind boggling. I don't even know what to say. Like I'm yeah. just like oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's like I I'm not I understand why some people are outraged, but I'm just trying to stay neutral on it because it's like the the genie is so far out of the bottle. All of a sudden, it just it's like the snowball was rolling downhill. We caught it like halfway down the hill. Uh huh. You know what I mean? Like nobody saw all this gener- the generation stuff coming this fast. No, um, and, but yeah. now, and it, this is like just—it's like just started, and yeah, yeah, it's already unstoppable. I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's I guess yeah, that's what I meant is that it's there's an inevitability to it in that there was in the same way there was an inevitability to like YouTube or you right. know, most of most of what happened with with phones. I, I you know I think this is even more significant though in terms of like shaping perception. It's nuts. I had to. I was in the shower. Uh-huh. All, all good stories start like that. 
<laughs> and oh, man, I'm not going to be able to remember the specific example, but I was replaying a conversation I was having with somebody and came up with like a, like a, a joke response that I was going to send them. And I laughed to myself and then immediately thought, oh, I wonder what that would look like in an image generator. <laughs> and it was the first for the first little twitch of like a behavioral pattern. Yeah. Where, oh, where when, if I if I thought of an idea, I wouldn't imagine it and just go on my merry way. I would have the desire to to generate it, to like use that as a prompt, you know? Yeah. It's just like it's so crazy how, we, how susceptible we are to being rewired to um, to think about uh what to do with an idea. <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah. yeah, even if you just look at that on a simpler level of search engines, like what's the first thing you do when you don't know how to do something? You go to Google or YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And one day I picked up, uh, or my wife picked up her phone and my daughter entered, what should Ruby wear today? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what? That's that's a good one. What should Ruby wear today? That is a good one. <laughs> we were There's just a like, lot like the amount of like self happening in there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, oh my God. It's crazy, right? Yeah. That is nuts. <laughs> At my old job, I used to email with this, this guy all the time and he was an old guy. And whenever he got frustrated with technology, he would say, brave new world, man, brave new world. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm just like, yeah, that guy was right. That guy was totally right. He was totally right. Oh my god, it's all too much. I, it's all too much. It makes like some of it. I I just don't want to know. Like I don't want to know that Amazon bought One Medical. I, like do you know what One Medical is? I don't know if that happens. I, I feel like I read about it, and I I yeah. don't. I mean, I don't know what it is specifically, but it's one of the things that yeah. I read about in some financial news feed. Yeah, it's like like subscription healthcare kind of you know if a tech company yeah. was your doctor kind of thing yeah like the the soup that is uh, emerging from the 2020s is it's terrifying and probably you know just a distraction from more important things like climate change and the systematic collapse of democracy <laughs> but, <laughs> but but i mean That'd if there's what? one if there's one silver lining it's the perception and how we experience reality i guess is just like it's just fundamentally changing if yeah you think of yeah like think about like the marsh like all the all the like marshall McLuhan framing of media theory and everything and all of that is just getting blown apart with what's happening with with these uh these generators uh-huh and how do you feel about Meta and their universe there? Oh, man. I don't think there's a company that turns me off more. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. I, I don't know if I communicated this strongly enough in, in the <laughs> beginning of this conversation, but I have to remind myself that I, I am in this industry, you know, right. but I dislike it so much. Yeah. Did you see the news about how much value they've lost as a company? Yes, it's pretty I have. It doesn't seem like it's going to work out. I can't yeah. imagine it's not going to work out, but that's what the news seems to indicate. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I take all the news with a grain of salt as well because they're trying to get clicks just like everybody on Instagram. So devastation and uh, failure is a big is is very click worthy. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they will fail, but I don't. I think that I don't think that the concept will fail, or I don't think the idea is going to go away. But just maybe their version or this version is not going to be how it actually manifests. Yeah, for sure, for sure. The metaverse is just uh, industry jargon shorthand for like six important things that are happening that all six of those things are definitely going to happen. You know, uh, I, I just think that it's the, the neat thing about Dali and uh, stable diffusion and all this is that it really caught everyone by surprise, right? Like Facebook can be plotting up about, you know, 
taking over the metaverse for as long as they want and investing in hardware with Oculus and all this. Uh-huh. And then this open source piece of software can co- can come out like a wrecking ball. And right. Just, just and it'll just be like the new hotness that, yeah. that actually just does the thing that people want. Yeah. I actually think that Apple will really, really struggle. This may be wishful thinking, but I think the most interesting things that happen, you know, in the genre of the metaverse are going to be from people that are way more reckless and don't have a lot to lose. Uh-huh. The hardware problem is so tough, right? Because you, you've got, relatively speaking, like the inexpensive or cheap meta stuff. You've got whatever Apple's going to release for goggles or AR glasses that's yep. luxury. And then you have like the full like Valve Index gamer yeah, yeah. kind of third um category that like you need that hardware but i think the software and content is going to be way more culturally soupy and hard to control what what is popularized you know i don't think these like sanitized closed worlds are really going to go anywhere right i think it's good it's going to be like a combination of um of like indie gaming culture game development culture evolving and then the things that are happening on vr chat and you know the things that are happening um with more experimental real-time 3d interactive art all that stuff is going to collide and just get gets super weird and i I, yeah i think there's a, a hopefully like a whole whole wave of of um artists and, and content creators that are not don't have to like uh, enlist in, in amazon facebook right. apple or google you know to to get distribution that's like the real shame about the app store uh, the you know apple app store model uh-huh. is that it's so regulated it, yeah right you know and it's one thing for like apps in your phone but i think once people start to get the appeal of I'm not going to say metaverse of the metaverse, but the appeal of different forms of experiencing reality through technology mm-hmm. that obviously like the, there's going to be some cool shit and there's going to be stuff that's uh, outside of what probably what Facebook would or Apple would let into their their closed systems. Right. Yeah. Well, there's like the like a frontier aspect. That yeah. I think that you sort of need to get people interested. Totally. And a lot of people like a lot of the criticism is that it's already here. Right. I think that's, you know, well, you'll hear that quipped a lot at in response to the big like industry thought pieces about it is that now this has all been happening this is just the combination of a bunch of currents that have been getting more intense you know over the last the last 10 years gaming culture i think in particular like i wish i could i always cite this but i can't find the article for the life of me i saw a statistic that people your children's age and an older like into high school video games are more of an identifier than music is like they have oh. like associations, right? Like the games you play have, have, have surpassed music as a way of kind of broadcasting who you are. Okay. That, that, that rocked me. Yeah, totally. Uh, you think about like, okay, I was a skater that listened to Smith and Wesson and, you know, you kind of would construct your identity around oh, those this things. Oh, this is what the, this dude's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah this is, he's that kind of person. So, but, you know, the games, games are, are such a, a huge, if not the biggest part of, you know, of how, how people are doing that now. I would, I wouldn't even know what, what, what the, what the game, like the, the breadth of the games, like. Yeah. I haven't gotten into that. Like there's so many, it's just, it's crazy. Like I, I just know the big, um, like the big blockbusters. I don't. Yeah, you know, me I, too. I, I don't follow indie gaming that much. But. And if I ever play a game, which I, I maybe once or twice a year. I, I still play, I just play Civilization. <laughs> Dude, it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> cut, 
cut from the same cloth. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to play. I used yeah. to play uh, some of the Star Wars games. Yeah. Oh, oh right. I think that you introduced me to. Uh, <laughs> what was it? No, which one was it? Uh, Jedi Academy. I think. Oh. I think that was my first Star Wars game. I think we played that at your house. Too. Yep. Yeah. Because <laughs> I had a graphics card in my 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 G four. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah. Seeing seeing my niece and nephew interact with Roblox over the past two years yeah, has been yeah. like a scary validation of oh wow okay like this this is this is like a this is a medium for them in the same way music or or visual art was for you and i maybe but it's uh, but the problem is it has such ill intent right yeah like it's like like ad like an advertising business model basically yeah my kids don't play it but some of our friends kids do and on one hand, I feel weird because I'm not encouraging them to do it, but they don't ask about it, so I don't set it up for them. That's great. I, I don't know. Like, I, am I yeah. am I depriving them of something? If they're not asking for it, then I would just assume that they're doing other stuff that they're enjoying more. Sure, but but is it going to make them culturally illiterate? No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Hopefully, that's like saying if I if I wasn't on Friendster, then. And but I was on MySpace, then I I don't know how to use a social network. Yet. Right, like okay. this is just the first, like just the first one. Right, right. Um, hey, we'll see. Maybe they'll be freaks. Yeah. They'll be anti-social <laughs> freaks when they're <laughs> when they get to high school. Just send up, send them, send them my way. You guys, All right, cool. Send the whole family comes to New York for a summer. <laughs> Sounds nice. Hang out. I'm sure the, that they would enjoy that in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show, Justin. It was really good to catch up. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it too. It's um, it's pretty uh, remarkable to you know how easily we re- we reconnect given how long it's been. Yeah, well, you know, I knew that was going to happen because I feel like that's how our entire friendship started. It, like we just hit it off quickly. Yeah, makes me miss you, brother. Yeah, man. And that's why well, the last time when it, when we were, uh, I, I wanted to hook up with you in New York the last time I was in New York, but you were in San Francisco. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. That's a that's a story for another time. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was in New York. Yeah, I um, know. Me too. We got to come your way too. I've, you know, um, we really missed an opportunity. Betanise, my wife, uh, her brother was living in Amsterdam for a while, but we never visited him. He never invited us. Oh, bummer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So uh, what time is your, your meeting? Uh, it's just started. Right. As we covered in the beginning of, of the episode, I, I've achieved post-career autonomy. In the <laughs> That's meeting. true. It <laughs> starts when I say yeah. it starts. Uh, on that note, I wish you a good meeting and thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It was a blast. And we should talk. We can talk again some other time. Not what, and We don't have to record it. Yeah, no, I, I'm happy to record it. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. All right, um, yeah, I'll talk to you later. Thanks talk a later, lot. Jim. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Justin. Remember in the beginning when I said there was a lot of information? Well, now you know what I was talking about. I feel like I summed up my thoughts about the episode in the episode, so I feel silly repeating myself here. I'm totally amazed at Justin's knowledge and equally amazed by his ability to find or create a space for himself. I really latched onto when he was talking about being the head of product, but approaching it from a design background rather than a developer background. I often see job listings that look for people with developer experience. I don't have that, but I sometimes check all the other boxes on their list. I just want someone to give me a chance. I can't compare myself to Justin. First of all, that's not healthy, but he's also in another league. Still, he gives me the hope that someday someone will give me the chance and allow me to prove that someone with a slightly different background than the one that is traditionally expected can be an asset. Anyway, it was great catching up with Justin, and I'm going to leave a bunch of links in the show notes. 
you know, links for Justin-related stuff, but also references to some of the ideas and concepts that he mentioned, or news items, or stuff that I think maybe some of the listeners might not be familiar with. Get the show notes in your podcast app or on the website, feelfreetodeviate.com. Thanks for being on the show, Justin. I, I hope we can do it again sometime. And thank you, dear listener. I appreciate your time and your willingness to listen to this show. Please keep listening and tell a friend about it so more people can listen and I can get a bigger audience and maybe I'll start a Discord server. Evidently, that's something that people with podcasts do. YouTubers also. For now, check me out on Instagram at Feel Free to Deviate. Like, follow, interact, tell your friends. If you'd like to contribute financially, there's a donate page on feelfreetodeviate.com. It's called Feel Free to Donate. If that's too complicated for you, you may prefer going to buymeacoffee.com slash feelfree. That's just feel free, no deviations. It's a quick, easy, and painless way to help offset the costs of running the show while simultaneously keeping Jim Turbert caffeinated, which costs more than you might think. Coming up in two weeks is... I don't know. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants right now, and I've got a couple ideas in my head and a couple cards up my sleeve. We'll see what happens. Have a great week. Have a great fall. Have a great everything. And I'll be back in the near future. Goodbye.